evening. Thanks for tuning in to our online Bible discussion through the book of Matthew. Um, I've been so encouraged by the participation in this study, the fact that people have been able to log in on the Zoom class on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, and we're going to keep doing that again, so be prepared for that this Wednesday at 7. Uh, enjoy the discussion as we went through talking about you know, not um, engaging in righteous acts to be seen, such as you know fasting and praying and giving, and uh, the discussions have been deep and meaningful, and I've enjoyed them, and I hope you have too. But we're going to get right into the text tonight. We are in the book of Matthew, and one of the points we've been emphasizing time after time is this idea that this book is written to try to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Now, Nick says, I always ask him, uh, you know, give me some evidence for it, and Curtis says the same thing, so I'll give you some evidence for it. Um, you have the genealogy of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the fulfillment of the prophecy, Jesus, um, his healings, you have um, him being a great teacher, all of that showing that he is um, you know, the Messiah, the one that they've been waiting for. The Jews were looking for a deliverer. Jesus came, died on the cross, and many people didn't follow him. So Matthew is now writing to those Jewish people saying, look, this Jesus is the one that you need to follow, and here's his life, and you have perfect evidence for that. Well, we've been spending the last several weeks, and we're going to get try to get kind of far this week, but we'll see where we go, in the Sermon on the Mount. So Nick, instead of giving us a review of the entire book of Matthew, what's the general gist of the Sermon on the Mount? Well, that your righteousness needs to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, who were the religious elites, the kind of the religious standards of the day, uh, or at least what people thought were the standards. And um, Jesus is showing the counter to what earthly the earthly teachers and the master teacher, the heavenly teacher, God himself. So Jesus says, be better than the scribes and the Pharisees. Yeah. Curtis, how can we do that? Uh, well, he, he starts off hitting right off the bat in the beginning of chapter 5 uh, with the Beatitudes and, and talking about how we can, can model our heart uh, after these different mm. characteristics. Uh, and then he continues on through chapter 5 with, with what our attitude needs to be, not just the, the, the actions that we do, but what our heart and our attitude now, needs Now, you be mentioned heart and attitude. I know he doesn't use that word, but that seems to be the emphasis over yeah. and over again. This The commands that we keep are not to try to prove our righteousness, but because right. we truly love God and want to serve Him. Yeah, it's like we're called to a higher level of righteousness. The, the Pharisees' righteousness, if you will, was all outward-facing. Uh, but Jesus is calling us to, towards an inward-facing righteousness. It's, more than, again, more than just what we do, uh, but it's our motivation behind it, what we think behind it, what our heart is behind it. I like it. So instead of uh, a legalistic, here's the things I need to do, the things I shouldn't do, we have, like you said, a higher level of righteousness. not a, an arrogant way, but we're trying to approach it from a genuine desire to do what is right and serve God because we trust and love Him. And all this would go back kind of to, you know, I mean, if, if you love God, this isn't a difficulty. This isn't a problem. The problem is, like you said, that they're not doing it. That the Pharisees are setting an example for, we just need to complete it. We don't really need to do it from what's within, yeah. as what the law would tell them. You know, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You know, and also love others, and which others, they were missing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. They were missing that idea. Yeah. Um, well, we kind of finished off chapter six last week of, of the book of Matthew. You know, this sermon is Matthew five, six, and seven. It's the longest recorded sermon we have of Jesus. And chapter six ended strong with the idea of not worrying. And we kind of talked about that, especially during this time of anxiety right now in our country. A lot of us have a lot of worry. Jesus says, trust in God, seek first his kingdom, and all those things will be added unto you. And then verse 34, which I know we quote a lot in my house, which is, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble 
of its own. So chapter 6 kind of ends on that high note. Like, all right, hang in there. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. God's going to take care of you. Then chapter 7 kind of begins, kind of, it almost seems very abruptly. Now, I know the chapter breaks are not here in the original text and all that, but even from a sermon standpoint, Jesus goes, every day is going to take care of itself. Now, here's this next point you need to get. And here's our big one. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now, if you've spent any time in a religious discussion with somebody, especially someone who's maybe combative toward religious ideas, Mm -hmm. they might not know the Bible, but they probably know this verse. Very much. Chapter 7, verse 1 says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Or if you have an older version, judge not lest ye be judged. Right? Everybody quotes it in King James for some reason. (laughs) But um, this verse is one that we're all familiar with. And it comes right in here after a discussion about trusting in God. But let's read through this and then we'll talk about what, what is being said here. Why is this being said? Because this verse can be used to justify some false ideas, I believe. And also sometimes... It's used to maybe let us off the hook when maybe we should be standing up yeah. for certain things, too. Uh, so let's read. Judge not yet. I want to quote it in the King James. <laughs> judge not so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. So we do, right before we get into this, his illustration, we do have a clarifier. Mm-hmm, yeah. He explains what he means. So general Bible study principles, I'm sure Curtis and Nick will attest to, is you never want to just take one verse by itself. Zinni and I were in a discussion today, and she was going through preparing for a Bible study she was having, and she asked me a question about a verse in Philippians chapter 3, and I, I said, well, read the next ones after. She goes, oh, yeah, there, it's right there. And I, she's a better Bible student than I am, but sometimes we forget that, that, you know, sometimes just reading ahead gives you the answer to what you're looking at. So judge not, yet let, there again, I want to do it. Too. <laughs> Ju- do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. So he kind of says the same phrase in two different ways. Do not judge. In the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Nick, what do you think he's saying here? I I think he's saying uh, be fair in your judgment. That if you're going to press judgment like I was going to judge you for something you were doing, I would have to put that same standard back onto myself. Um, otherwise, I'm not judging, so to speak, in the right manner. Uh, maybe we should clarify maybe they, what we mean by judge first, too. Yeah, uh, okay, maybe make sure we're on the, <laughs> you know, that we kind of are on the same page there. Curtis, do you have any thoughts on maybe how the word judge should be viewed? Well, I, I think the judge or even the measure, I think that he again reiterates and clarifies this point with the standard of measures. The way that we, we, we view others, we think of others. Mm. Uh, ultimately, I mean, remember who he's talking to here. He's talking to the Pharisees. Yeah. Uh, and that, that thesis point is our, our righteousness needs to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you were looking at the way that the Pharisees judge, uh, and we even got a couple examples of that um, later on in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 12, uh, when the disciples are plucking um, grains off the wheat. And then in 15, mm-hmm. uh, where they were washing their hands. Yeah. And so that's where they were imposing self-created rules onto Jesus and his disciples. Yeah. And, and so... While this doesn't directly discuss that context, um, that is what the Pharisees were doing. They, they were judging with this uh, additional burden. Yeah. Um, and I think Jesus is coming out and saying that, be careful doing that because it's going to happen right back to you. I don't think he's saying not, don't judge. No, and that's why the word judge by itself has kind of a, a negative feel. Yeah. But I mean, really, it's it's the formulated conclusion 
And in this case, it would be about spiritual matters. Mm -hmm. So, And we do that all the time. Right. We formulate conclusions about whether or not something is a, a, a Christian way to handle a situation, sure. right? We come to that conclusion. And maybe we look at something. You know, someone might say, hey, what do you know about that TV show? Is it good for my kids? I make a judgment on right. it. I say, you know, based upon what I've seen, it's not kid-friendly. You know, that kind of idea. Mm -hmm. So Jesus says, don't form these conclusions in a way that you're not going to form the same conclusions at yourself. Mm -hmm. Don't judge from the same way you're not going to judge yeah. yourself. But I like how he says that by your standard of measure, it'll be measured to you. Even though we might not use literal weights to balance things out, we still have a department of weights and measures, right? Yeah. I mean, even in our own country, you go to a gas pump, it'll tell you that it's been studied by an expert, you know, someone who's licensed and all that, to make sure that when it says one gallon of gas, it's actually one gallon yeah. of gas. And so that's a universal standard that no matter where you go in the United States, hopefully, I guess, all over the world, although we're the only ones that use gallons, I think, um, that every gallon is going to be the same size. So if we're going to apply that same standard that a gallon of gas is the same size as a gallon of milk is the same size as a gallon of water, we can be consistent. Yeah. But if we're going to use different rules, different weights and measures, applying them to different people, then we're going to be inconsistent in our judgment. Yeah. And how does that make me? How does that? How does that make my righteousness succeed without the scribes and the Pharisees? If that's what they're doing, the inconsistency I think is is what's really weighty here. Um, how consistent are we with our with ourselves when we judge other people for what we think is a non-Christian act or an un Well, that's kind of what Curtis was saying, that, yeah. that the Pharisees would look at someone and say, you're wrong, mm -hmm. but not apply that same rule to themselves, yeah. correct? Yeah, and so the, the Pharisees were taken upon themselves to, to be the police force, um, to, to go around and police these different uh, religious acts. Uh, uh, they, they, I mean... We do it today. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we go around and say, you're in, you're in, you're not, you're not, you're not. Um, and, and that's what the, the Pharisees were doing the same thing. And here Jesus is saying, be careful doing that. Because if you go around and start pointing out everyone's mm -hmm. little issues uh, and, and making these decisions, the same is going to turn on and, and happen to you. And we need to make sure that we, like you said, consistent or we're, you know, fair in what we're doing and how we're handling people. So he gives a very precise and easy to understand illustration, yeah. but it's designed to be I guess, absurd in its yeah. in its imagery. So he says, Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? That's designed <laughs> to be almost humorous, right? I mean, I love Jesus' questions. <laughs> yeah. But 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 it hits it, it makes a point because yeah. so often we read this this statement that judge not uh, defensively. Mm. We use it to say, You stop judging me when mm. in reality we need to to to, to look at uh, what we're being judged upon to, right. to honestly assess is that something that's about um, and often not we'll find that that beam in our eye is preventing us from seeing things sure. that other people may see if am I gonna uh, if I'm gonna criticize the behavior or the belief or something of another if I'm not going to criticize my own and, yeah. and weigh my own consistently with that same measure. And how can we see so clearly what someone else is doing wrong, but not our own? Especially when there's a beam I mean, in your eye, right? Exactly. You and that's, that's the, I mean, that's really the question is like, why, why can I tell what I'm doing, what I, everything, why can I say that I'm doing everything right and point to somebody else and say they're doing everything wrong? Who are we, the one, who, what makes us, you know, the, have the right to do that to anybody? Well, how you know, dare I think I have the the <laughs> the wherewithal to remove a speck out of someone's yeah. eye if I can't even get the beam out of my own? Yeah. 
Um, so he keeps going here. He says, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your own eye. And then he uses our key word here in verse five. It's, he uses this word over and over again, in this sermon, you hypocrite, you two faced, you faker, right? Yeah. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Mm -hmm. couple truths here we need to remember. First off, before we can even think of trying to remove the sin out of someone else's life, we need to look inward. Yeah. Like you said, the whole point of this whole idea is inward focus on ourselves, not always outward focus. But then he also does mention, then you'll be able to clearly see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So I, I don't think he's dismissing that, oh, no, never try to get the speck out of your brother's yeah. eye. He's never saying that. He's saying, but fix yourself before you try to fix others. Yeah. How do we do that then when none of us are perfect? Because we have an obligation. I would think the whole of Scripture teaches us to lead people to Jesus, to correct people in sin. I sin. I'm not perfect. How do I then approach somebody who maybe is struggling with the same sin I'm struggling with. Do I wait till I master that that behavior and then talk to them? Or how, how do I do that? Well, I think there's probably, I mean, each situation will be different. Because yeah. it might be something that uh, if a brother struggled with the same sin as you, um, you now have accountability partner and a support group say, I'm struggling with the same thing. Let's get through this together. Yeah, let's overcome this together. Yeah. Not, I'm here judging you, but uh, maybe as a team. Yeah. I think it's creating awareness. Yeah. You know, it's not necessarily saying, here, let me help you fix your sin. It's more of like, hey, I struggle with this. And somebody else saying, I struggle with this too. How can we work together to get that, to work through this? And it's creating awareness. Because, you know, you don't become, like Paul would say, that he didn't become aware of sin until he saw the, until mm -hmm. he saw the law. Then he became aware of his own sin. And I think it's the same thing with us. We'll go back to Matthew chapter 5, you know, be the light of, be the light of the world. You know, to light causes us to see things. It creates awareness. And so here is an awareness tip for us, yeah. right? And then I think to circle back to, to your question also, the other, another aspect of it um, is if, the, if a brother is struggling with a sin that we struggle with mm -hmm. ourselves, it's our attitude. Um, yeah. It's not looking down upon them mm -hmm. to owe oh, you horrible person. If someone's struggling with anger, uh, but the only way that you can control your anger is to kick the dog when you get home every night from work. Um, you can't chew that person out or look at them critically. Right. Uh, maybe it's not even the way that we articulate. Maybe it's just the way that we, we view them. Or yeah, view them in how our we mind. view them, our, our tone, our approach. If we look down upon a person who's struggling with the same sin we are, then there's a problem. Yeah, but if yeah. we look at them as equals, that we're both trying to overcome the sin that's different. And even if their sins are different than ours, I think we can always understand that us and all sinners are on that same plane yeah. where we need salvation. So even though their sin might be different than my sin, I sin, they sin, yeah. we both need Jesus. And I think kind of as you, we both are mentioning here this, the Pharisees never seem to admit their own sinfulness. If they would have just said, Jesus, we're trying our best to serve you, we kind of blow it a lot, help us, that would have been fine. Right. right? They could have even, they would have probably still be binding things where they shouldn't, but they could have worked through that. Yeah. But when you arrogantly think you have it figured out and your job is to only correct everybody else because mm -hmm. everybody else is wrong and you're always right, yeah. that's the issue here. Yeah. And I think we see this, and let's open up maybe Pandora's box here a little bit. I think we do this religiously a lot. You know, as churches, we instead of looking inward to our own shortcomings, let's say locally as a congregation, instead of looking at maybe our own struggles, we it's easier sometimes to point out the fault on everybody else 
and then it almost alleviates us of the responsibility to deal with our own problems. And even uh, in, in denominational circles, uh, we oftentimes will view scripture as, as bullets in the magazine, mm -hmm. as ammunition for me to be able to prove mm -hmm. that I'm correct, that you're wrong, uh, instead of looking at scripture on how uh, it, it is exposing a beam in our eyes. So we need to apply it to our life, apply it to our heart, um, to pluck that beam out. And once we get that beam out, then we can go yeah. work on a spec. And also be willing to say that, hey, just because this one group or people or individuals believe wrong in this area doesn't mean that I believe right in all areas yeah. too. We need to be always evaluating our own teachings and our own actions as a church. You know, maybe that church does this wrong in worship, but we do this wrong in benevolence. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we need to make sure that we're not hypocritical in that judgment, that if we're going to dare condemn somebody and say they're lost by what they're doing, which that is huge. You're taking on the role of judge, juror, executioner, all that, which I don't think it's wrong to say that something is going to condemn someone. I think that's biblical. But I think we also need to say, I'm also worried about my own situation because I think I sometimes violate these commands in this way too. I think as a church, sometimes we fall very short when it comes to maybe loving our neighbor or when it comes to really having a a deep relationship with God, you know, whereas maybe this group over here might have that, but yet they mess up, you know, church structure or something like that. And I think any conversation we have with anybody, especially when you deal with religion, it can always be a hot button issue because yeah. traditions run deep, family ties, history, and we wrap in faith and emotion, all that's hard. But if we come to, let's say we're having a Bible study with somebody or a religious discussion, we say, hey, look, I'm not perfect in my understanding of Scripture. I'm sure you would admit you're not perfect in your understanding of Scripture, too. Let's open it up and see what the Bible says. You can kind of come to maybe a better conclusion. You might not agree when it's all said and done, but at least you're applying the same standard. And, and I think the willingness to objectively look at what, what Scripture is telling us, and I think we gain way more credibility when we study with someone, when we discuss where we have grown and matured in yes. our viewpoints where, yeah. you know, my, my thought used to be this, um, but then I really dug in to understand exactly what Paul is saying here. Uh, and I was way off base. I was trying to make this, yeah. this verse say something that, that Paul's not even getting at. Yeah. Right. And if we, if we believe that verse, Romans chapter three, and verse 23, if we believe what Paul says, that all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, and that through that, even there, Paul talks about the grace that's been extended to us by Jesus because of our shortcomings. Shouldn't we apply that same grace to other people? Absolutely. Shouldn't that's we what apply? Jesus it? Says. I know, and I think I, I think that's a big. I mean, and especially we, for me, we didn't emphasize that enough. If we want God to extend grace and mercy to us, we better do that. Yeah, to other people. and that's what he says at the end of chapter five, too. I think. Right where he said where he talks about forgiving this mm -hmm. idea of, of forgiving. Mm -hmm. If we're going to, if we want forgiveness, then we have to give forgiveness. If we want grace, then we have to give grace. And if we're not giving grace, how can we expect to get it in return? Very true. I think that's a bullet point. Maybe we can for <laughs> those that are tuned in here that we right. can kind of make sure everybody gets from this. Right. So judging is not inherently wrong, no. but make sure you're judging with a consistent standard. Mm -hmm. The same standard you judge someone else with is the same standard you should judge yourself with, and the same amount of grace you expect God and others to give you, you should offer to someone else. Yeah. And yeah. if you don't do that, you're like the guy with the demon inside. And so often we, we afford ourselves uh, a tremendous amount of grace, but we do not offer it to anyone else. We look yeah. at, I mean, we give ourselves this benefit of the doubt, but we assume 
the worst intentions on other people. Yeah, right. I know. I you know, as a parent, sometimes I, I've joked around with other parents before. Everybody, every parent will admit to other parents or not to their kids. They have a list of potential spouses in the back of their mind for their child. My kid, not Coulter, don't worry. Um, maybe later, but but you get older here. So it's funny. Like I'll be scrolling through, I'll be scrolling through social media, and I'll see kids that maybe I, I thought might have been on a short list for a potential. Not that I have any say in this. I would love to do that, but I don't think it's going to happen that way. And say, and I see that that kid posted something, and it had a link to this that that I didn't like. So well, they're off the list. They're not good enough for my kid anymore. Oh, this person I didn't think was dressed modest enough. They're not good enough for my kid. This person follows this rapper who has a parental advisory on their music. They're not good enough for my kid. But then I don't look at my kid and, and say, oh, here's the things that they have wrong. Or if you don't look at the text message that you send to your buddies where you're quoting this 90s rap. Thing. Yeah, exactly. yeah, okay, I think the same thing. Are you saying that I quote 90s rap to you, Curtis? Maybe once or twice. <laughs> but, we, but we all are on that playing field, right? Where we go, you know, it's like, like, you know, I always use this illustration because it's just something that is on my everyday, you know, plate when I'm driving somewhere. I'm not as graceful to other people on on the roadway as I would expect other people to be to, be, to yeah. me. You know, I'll, I'll drive, somebody will be driving and somebody will cut me off and then I'm, you know, wanting to ride their tail until I can pass them again. And, you know. Yeah, you're mortified when they don't let you yeah. in. How dare they not let me in, but I'm not going to let that guy in. Yeah, you exactly. Know, that kind of thing. exactly. Yeah. Very yeah. true. Yeah. So don't judge lest you'll be judged. And if you're going to judge, make sure you apply the same standard to yourself and also apply the same standard of grace. So I think we kind of got the gist mm -hmm. of that here. Um, one verse by itself, it doesn't make the stand alone, but Jesus explains what he means in the following verses. He's talking about don't be hypocritical in your judgment. Yeah. If you were to give a one-line answer to it. So then verse 6, he adds this in here. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, for they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. Now, for those of you tuning in, we were spending a lot of time talking about this before we even started the recording because this is kind of a challenging passage. Let's look at what we do understand easily here. Holy things like pearls are good. Dogs and pigs here are considered to be unholy. You don't yeah. offer unholy things or holy things to unholy creatures because they will destroy it. And it's a waste of time. So whether or not we understand the direct application maybe of this, the general idea, the illustration is don't give good things to those that won't appreciate it. Right. Okay. So now how does this fit with the idea of what he just said about judging? When making a judgment. When making a judgment, don't, because I would say a judgment is a holy endeavor. If I'm going to say, hey, this is sinful, let's fix this, that's something holy. I'm offering a teaching from a heavenly father to someone else. Sure. That is a gift. That is holy. That is, that is a pearl of great price and all that kind of stuff, right? So I'm offering that to somebody. If I'm hypocritical in my life, if they aren't willing and ready to accept that teaching, it might just be a waste of of that endeavor. Well, I think he's taking a stab at the Pharisees here too. Um, he's he's saying don't let the Pharisees, basically he's calling the Pharisees dogs. He's saying don't give the dogs what is holy. In other words, don't let the Pharisees judge you like because that is a holy sacrament when they themselves are not practicing holy acts. Do not throw your pearls before a swine. Uh, you know what, funny thing, I always, I always thought swine uh, I didn't know swine was was pigs. I always thought swine was like in swan, like I was thinking of a duck for the longest time. It was just the weirdest thing. But then when I when I picked it up and finally I go, oh, pigs. Well, 
You got dogs and pigs. You're right? from rural California. I know. We you know, pigs here. You know, you just sometimes just read things. Swan Lake, not Swine Lake. Swine Lake. Swine. Swine did my Swine. So, yeah, and um, you know, so you got dogs. Like dogs, not like our pets. You know, yeah. like today. No, like, they ain't garbage in the house. Right? Yeah. 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 yeah, and they they ran in packs, and they actually would eat the pack people. Um, you know, there's dogs like that today in other yeah, places. They're usually chihuahuas, but right. And then, <laughs> of course, pigs. You breed chihuahuas. But no, yeah, pigs. Same thing. Pigs yeah. eat the refuse and yeah. all that. Well, we have wild pigs, and today, they were they were an not. unclean animal, yeah. right? And so to Jews, yeah. I think it also goes back to the, the the beam in the eye idea that we need to examine our hearts, examine our intentions right. when we're doing it. Are, are we uh, are we laying something uh, God's truth as holy? Are we laying that? Yeah. In front of others, or is it being laid in front of yeah, us? Are we the pig? Are, are we, we the exactly? Yeah. Are yeah. we looking at this uh, as as a beam in our, or is right. a beam in our eye preventing us from seeing that we Those have a dogs. dog approach? To yeah, we've lost pigs. Our, oh, our natural inclination is to assume that this is talking about other people. Yeah, yeah. It's but, talking about me. Yeah, talking about us. God is giving me teaching that is holy and pure sure. and wonderful. Am I going to ask, seek, and knock like He's going to say in the next yeah. verse for the sure. truth, or am I going to just? trample it over. And so a lot of times when it comes to, we hear a teaching from God's word, maybe it's corrective teaching. Maybe someone else is passing a judgment that is fair and righteous. True. If I just reject it, I'm no better than a dog or a pig. Well, and, and also think uh, the dogs digging through the trash. They're right. looking for something. They're ignoring everything else to look for one thing that they want. Pigs are the same. When, yeah, they, right. when they root around, they're, they're pushing everything else out of the way to find the one little gem that they They don't care they what's valuable to you either. Yeah. They don't care what's actually of value to them, too. Before, their perspective pearl, pearls before swine, right? Pearls are valuable, especially in those days. This can be used as currency, you know? And so he's saying, you know, don't don't throw what's valuable to you in front of something that's going to trample it and not value it like you're going to value it. And are we willing to consider what is being thrown our way? Yeah. Is it holy or is it not? Right. Um, I think that's good there, absolutely. Um, you know, if we flip it around, too, you do have to pass judgment on whether or not it is holy or unholy. And, you know, all of this is about decision-making. So I, I do come back to that because I do think that some people, again, misunderstand judgment here. There's a lot of decision-making, mm -hmm. which that could be another, you know, uh, way of looking at judgment that is taking yeah. place here. So he says, don't be the pig, don't be the swine, or don't waste your time with <laughs> pigs and swine. And then he kind of tells us how to cure that. How to make sure you're not a pig or a dog in verse 7. Uh, a long time ago, I wrote a note in my Bible right here. It says, dogs and swine will not ask. Because look at verse 7. Yep. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. Mm -hmm. Now, this isn't the first time he's mentioned seek in this sermon already. Chapter 6, verse 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right. and all these things will be added to you. So if our priorities are right, when something holy is cast out our way, we're not going to treat it like a dog would treat it. We'll treat it like, you know, with respect. And we are also a person that's also desiring holy things. Right. Seeking is the same as asking and all that. Right. We have, or blessed are those that hunger and thirst for exactly. righteousness. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, yeah, your fingers yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But... But yeah, I mean, it, our minds go back to that, that right. idea. Do you have that hunger, that desire? You want it so bad, you're seeking well, to know. And then think about these three things that he's talking about. He's talking about asking, using your words, seeking, using your eyes, looking, actively 
looking for a way to find that thing and then knocking if you cannot see what's there using you know it's like behind a door you can't see what's behind the door but you know something is there that if you knock it will be opened to you. And, and these are all active verbs here too yeah exactly and it's a perpetual We're, our whole life is constantly seeking constantly asking we're always going to be hungry, right? Yeah. And I mean, that's how we Hopefully. are here. <laughs> and, and that's well, there, there's a, there's an old proverb. I don't know who it's it's from, but when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's what we need to constantly be be be, be maturing in our spiritual walk. Uh, and kind of the point we made uh, we we discussed earlier about about the beam in our eye, where we can grow in our maturity uh, and understand something where we may not have been at the point to understand a scriptural teaching at one point in time. Uh, we have progressed. We have we have asked. We have sought. Right. We have knocked, and now we and have be opened. Yeah, and so now we're we're eating to meet a little bit, going to yeah. meet a little bit more. Right. And, and this passage, I always saw this differently, you know, because you, of course, you guys both grew up in the church, but I didn't. Um, for me, it was a bit of a challenge coming out of out of a world where church wasn't a priority, or what the Bible was not something that was read, stories were not taught. Um, this verse applied in a whole different way to me. Where when I when it came to the forefront of asking does God exist, I actually had to seek it out. Yeah. When I figured out that God existed, then I had to ask for other answers. Then when I started looking and seeking and knocking, then all these doors were opened. My answers, the, were the there. questions that I was asking, were there. Exactly. The, the pearls are always there. That which is holy yeah. is always there. But are you ready to receive it yet? Right. His teaching here is we need to be people that are always open to receive. That corrective, righteous, holy teaching that comes yeah. from Jesus. Mm -hmm. And if we're seeking first his kingdom, that'll happen. And it's kind of funny because in chapter 6, when you seek first his kingdom, physical needs are provided. Yeah. Here, when you seek him, it seems like spiritual needs are provided. Yeah. You know? and, and yeah. if, if we go back to the illustration about the beam in our eye, if, if we are, are, I mean, if we literally had a beam sticking out of our eye, we would want desperately to get that removed. Mm -hmm. And if the way to get that removed is to grow uh, in our spiritual maturity, mm -hmm. the only way to do that is to ask, to see, to knock. And so I think that we all need to have the mentality, whether we grew up in the church or out of the church, probably even more uh, growing up in the church, to, to, to verify that that being can get out of our eye and yeah. dig in. You know, I heard of a preacher one time bragging, and this is kind of one of the scariest things I ever heard of a preacher maybe bragging about, that he had never had to rethink or change his position on anything doctrinally the entire time he'd been preaching. And I'm thinking, then you're not asking, seeking, and knocking. Yeah. You're doing something wrong. If you're if yeah, that's very fair to say, well, I got it right. I mean, you should be a person that's always reevaluating every aspect of your I'm always trying to be a better father, a better husband, yeah. a better preacher, a better citizen, a better person, you know, a better student. I'm always learning more. I mean through even this Bible study with all of you, I've grown as we're putting thoughts together. But if you always think you have it figured out, you're never seeking, asking, knocking. And you know what? It's not going to be open to you. You're a pig and a swine. Yeah, and, a and I, it's I not think, a seeker. It's yeah, not yeah. a truth seeker. And I think that that illustration, as sad as it is, is directly applicable to what Jesus is talking about. Yeah. Because that is a person who doesn't see they have a beam in their eye. Mm. That is a person who is a dog, who, who is a, a pig, where something holy, that scripture has been thrown in front of them, but, but they refuse to see it because of the beam in their eye. Or they're just parroting what somebody else said because it's safe and it's comfortable. 
and they're afraid to step outside yeah. of that comfort zone. When because when you start, you know, I mean, you start I'm sure not in, every Pharisee thought through no. for themselves and just their yeah, it's like, oh well, I got to keep yeah. this teaching in order to stay in line with what mm -hmm. everybody else is teaching. And so sometimes that could be the case too. I love that Jesus chooses these harsh <laughs> words, though. He usually so cool. does it for religious leaders like yeah. the Pharisees, and always kind of reminds me that he could use those words for me too if I'm not careful. Well, and that's what um, I mentioned Jordan Peterson last week. I'll bring it up again this week. Um, he talks about when when we uh, when, when when someone asks you to picture a, a, a train wreck in your mind, what do you intend? More often than not, you are at a safe distance looking at it from afar. Mm -hmm. uh, if we apply the same mentality towards what Scripture, um, when Stephen was stoned, were we on the outside um, looking at everything that was happening with disgust, or did we have yeah, rocks around the rocks? Yeah, the same yeah. with Jesus. Did, were we in the crowd? Mm. Uh, and, and so, if we could put ourselves in this mentality that we are capable of doing these things, yeah, uh, it completely that's changes a, the way we. That's a good things. point. I think it was. Uh, it might be wrong, but in the Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson in the scene Hell where, yeah, yeah, where they nailed the nail and Jesus put his own hand there for the same idea. Once people see themselves as the one nailing mm -hmm. Jesus to the cross, we yeah. often look at it as. The judgmental people back here, those people are so dumb. I would have never done that. The whole yeah. Bible is written to show us, no, you have done that. Because yeah. and, and more often than not, we wouldn't have been on Jesus' side yeah. uh, until <laughs> after the fact. Yeah. And that's the beauty of narratives, you know, that, that narratives allow us to put ourselves in the characters the different people in there. That, we, that we see. You know, right now, it's like when I'm looking at this, you know, I'm going... I'm going, am I the people sitting in the crowd listening to what Jesus is teaching about these religious leaders that I've been that I've been following, or am I the religious leaders? Yeah. I've come around yeah. you enough. You might be a Pharisee. But so Jesus then just bring it back here, talks about asking, seeking, and yeah. knocking. And if you're gonna ask and you're gonna seek, you're gonna find. Then verse nine, he reminds them that God will provide for you. And it's just like he said earlier with God will add all these mm -hmm. things to you. He says, What man is there among you? Who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Mm. Or if he asks for a fish, will he not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Mm. Uh, and I, I don't overthink the evil thought. I think the idea is, is we, we're not perfect like God is. But you know what? Even we know that when our son says, Hey, Dad, I'm hungry. Can I have a sandwich? Curtis doesn't go, have a rattlesnake. You know what I mean? You're not going to do that, right? When Charlie comes up to you, and I know she hasn't talked that much yet, and asks, and asks, asks, for, asks for cookie, and you go, how about a rock? You know what I mean? You're not going to do that. Yeah, but that's Jesus' point. Even Curtis and Nick, in their failings as parents, know how to at least not give a snake to a four-year-old and a rock to a... How old is Charlie, Charlie now? One-year-old? One yeah. You better pull that beam out of your eye. Yeah, right. I would never do things like that. But yes. uh, and, and he says, If you then, Cliff, being evil, know how to, give, how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask of him? Do we trust our Heavenly Father? He knows what's best for us. He's going to provide for us. Well, this is... I, 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 when you were reading the scripture, I went back. This is the fifth time in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus has said, Your Father who is in heaven. Um, he's hammering this point that God is our yeah. Father. Uh, and he's using the, this, this cool gift illustration to, to, again, bring this home that God knows. I mean, how many times throughout this sermon have we seen uh, that God will provide? God mm -hmm. will take care, whether it's our physical need or our spiritual need, God will provide. And here he says that, that he knows the good things to give you. And, yeah. you know, I think we need that reminder a lot. 
I know my wife is always good for reminding me of that because I'll stress about things and, and want to fix situations and somehow organize things better that makes it better on my own. She goes, well, have you asked God? Have you prayed about it? Have you asked for wisdom? You know, because I'll be stressing. Maybe I'm about to meet with somebody and I'm going to have this conversation that we're dealing with a problem or it's a counseling situation or something. Just, well, have you asked God for wisdom? No. Yeah, well, usually, I have because, <laughs> usually I haven't because I'm arrogant and think I can figure things out on my own. And he says, look, why aren't you asking? Yeah. God knows what you need. He's going to give you a good gift. He's not going to hurl a rock down at you. And I think that's why, you know, a lot of times we as humans have anxiety because we try to rely on ourselves too much. Yeah. You know, I, I found myself doing that a lot too. And when I, in my past, when I was in situations that were very high stress, I found myself going, I need to pray, I need to pray, I need to pray because I am not in control. And I love that point that, that we, we keep your father who is in heaven shows an existing control by someone that other than ourselves. Because when we try to get in control, what happens? Well, we usually fail. Yeah. But it's also, if we're not willing to ask for help, right. we're hoping to do it on our own, so therefore we can give glory to ourselves. Right. Yeah. And if it's we're letting glory. our light shine through, letting God's light shine through <laughs> us, we're about giving glory to Him. And I think right. maybe that's why we don't ask God, because then we got to give God the credit. Right. And we don't like that idea. Mm. Interesting. So, are, do we realize the things that God gives us as good at the time He gives it to us? Not always. Um, does a child realize that the the good that his parents giving him is is good at the moment? They might not. Bed to sleep in, yeah. food to eat. They don't understand yeah. this bedtime right now is a good gift, or that this healthy meal, although it's not, you know, ice cream is. You a don't good... really worry about those things as a kid. I don't ever remember. I mean, not to be, you know, I'm not being arrogant or anything. I just. I don't ever remember. I always trusted that my yeah. parents were going to be trusted. Me. Mom and dad. Yeah. And mom if we and trust dad. dad we're going to, yeah, going to trust yeah, her. Dad is going to do what dad does. He's going to provide that meal for me, that place to sleep, that good thing. And, you know, why don't we look at God that way? Why don't yeah. we, why don't we, why don't we trust God like that? He's got even more control than our own dads. You know, he's got even more control yeah. than, you know, he's got the universe <laughs> at his disposal, right? Yeah. Dad just faked it. That song, he's got the whole world in his hands. Mm -hmm. And how much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? You know, that mm -hmm. idea of being in heaven, too, is repeated throughout this sermon about, yeah. you know, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven and, and, you know, all that kind of idea, your father in heaven. And here again, are we going to be focused on the earthly or are we going to be focused on that which is heavenly? And we focus on heavenly things, we're going to trust on our heavenly father's will. Mm -hmm. And to, to Zinni's point, um, it gives good things when you ask them. Yeah. yeah, not when you don't. Yeah, because it might be something, and I know, or, or I do it with Coulter sometimes, where I, I'm just waiting for him to ask for the mm -hmm. question, and it, it's right here. I'm, I'm ready to give it to you, and then he, he doesn't, and it's like, well, okay. Or have you ever tried to give information to him when he doesn't want to hear it either, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, kind of same thing. But when they ask, then they're ready to learn <laughs> Yeah. versus, you know, on the flip side. It's so then, verse 12, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way. Wait a second. It sounds like just like you said at the beginning of this chapter. Too, right? right? In everything, tr therefore, treat people the same way as you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. So he kind of bookends this right. section. It begins with treat people the way you want to be treated. It ends with treat people the way you want to be treated. And in the middle of all that, work on yourself. Then you can fix others. And if you need help, ask God. Yeah. And that's kind of how it all comes together. And for this is the law and the prophets. Well, the whole Bible is summed up in that treat others as you want to yeah. treat, love God, love others and mentality. And he bookends this with chapter, in chapter 5 when he says, uh, chapter 5 verse 17, 
uh, when he talks about the law and the prophets, and he talks about the things that we hear and the teachings that we're, we're doing, and then he switches it on and he says, by treating other people, by valuing other people like you would value yourself, you're fulfilling the law and the prophets. Yeah. Just like when you remove those those that log from your eye. Those things and it's something to give present. us, I don't want to say pride, it sounds kind of bad, but when I'm doing, when I'm loving people and treating people fairly and justly the same way God does, God calls that perfect mm-hmm. in the previous chapter. Mm-hmm. Here he says, I'm fulfilling you the law and the prophets. That's something to have some confidence in a little bit, that I'm fulfilling the predetermined eternal plan of God when I view people the way God views them. You know, in the beginning here of chapter, at the end of chapter 5, when he talks about don't just greet your brothers, you know, what more are you doing, you know, the hypocritical things. And if we can overcome hypocrisy, we're going to be like God. Mm -hmm. Not in a, I'm all-powerful, but we're going to bear his character traits if we overcome hypocrisy. So don't be hypocritical, but, you know, be fair and righteous and just in how we treat other people. Well, I think what we'll do, you know, we've kind of been bouncing around. I know you guys are tuning in and, and listening to this. We were bouncing around where we were going to stop in this. Verse 13 through the end of this sermon kind of ties in really well together. So I think what we'll do is we'll pick up in verse 13, uh, you know, next Sunday night, and we'll finish out the Sermon on the Mount. It's a lofty goal. We have a tendency to go a little bit slow, but this is an amazing sermon. I think we'll probably go quicker once we get outside of this sermon. Um, Maybe not. But read ahead, read verses 13 through 29, and be thinking about, you know, um, how this can relate to our own lives. And also, as you review this video and go over it, remember, we will rebroadcast this again. Be thinking about some questions that you might want to discuss in the Zoom meeting. Uh, if you didn't participate in the Zoom discussion, it's really easy to do. If you need help, talk to me, Nick, or Curtis. We'll get you logged in. We had people that, from the youth group all the way up to some of the older members in the congregation. really cool. Yeah, I mean, plugged yeah. in. I mean, well, I thought it was going to be something different, but I, I actually really enjoyed, you know, being able to see everybody. And we had, what, 25, 30 people on there? Yeah, and some plus, of them were couples. And I know, from what I understand, a lot of, like, husbands were hiding in the background because they didn't want to be on camera, <laughs> or wives, vice versa. Uh, you don't have to have your camera on. Um, but be careful just in case you don't understand how the controls work. You might accidentally have your camera on, but it was fun, especially hanging out afterwards. People yeah, chatting. And it was. And, and you don't even need the camera. You can call in by phone yeah. uh, and listen on like a conference call. Thing. So if, if you also know some people, because I know we have a tiny amount of members that don't have any kind of internet access. If you can hook them up and give them the phone number and the passcode, they can just call. They won't be able to participate, really, but they can hear, right? No, they can. They, they'll be able to participate. Oh, okay, cool. Well, they can hear and participate in the discussion with that. So if you need help with that, get one of us up. But stay plugged into the book of Matthew. Our, our class is going to continue with this kind of pattern going through the book. As I preach through um, different lessons, I'm going to try to keep coming back to some of the material too to reiterate what we've been looking at. But tonight, I would say the big takeaway is... Don't be a hypocrite. Treat people the way you want them and God to treat you. All right, well, thanks for tuning in. Have a great evening.